This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about real-world leadership solutions. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember that every follower needs a healthy leader. My passion is to help leaders lead more effectively. Welcome to episode number 14, Why Do People Always Resist Change? This is the second of a two-part podcast on leading people through change. Every leader has to be a change agent. So if you have not listened to the previous podcast, uh, you may want to go back. They can stand on their own two feet, but you may want to go back and listen to podcast episode number 13 before you listen to this one, episode number 14. This is part two, three other tips for leading people through change. Change management is such a huge topic in my 30 years of leadership, I had to become an expert in change. I eventually wrote a book on it, which I shared with you in the last uh, episode. Change is like a slinky, but um, you have to become a master at leading people through change. I'm going to give you the three final tips today. Get real practical, some great quotes, and some practical suggestions. You know, I don't really know where you are at today in your journey of leadership. Perhaps you're the boss, you're the pastor, you're one of the uh, leaders of your your ministry team, you are the leader, or maybe you're lower down uh, the rung of leadership, but you're trying to change things as part of a leadership team, or you're trying to affect changes from the bottom up. People sometimes ask me, can I change my uh, company, organization, ministry, church from the bottom up? Can I influence leaders? Absolutely. If you recall the podcast on Mavericks, we need Mavericks. And a leadership team should listen to Mavericks and people that have new ideas. Now, unfortunately, many new ideas are <laughs> stamped out, snuffed out, and uh, put out long before they reach the top because some leadership teams are not open to suggestions from what I call the, the radical fringe or the peripheral. But one thing, if you look at history and the history of great revolutions and movements, uh, it always comes from the from the edges, not from the institutional core. One of the greatest examples of that would be, again, uh, people like uh, Stephen Jobs or Bill Gates who absolutely changed technology, but they were not from the institutional core, or Martin Luther, who started the Reformation again from the edges, not the institutional core. So if you're on the edges, don't give up. Just graciously and persistently share your message. So I don't know where you're at today, but let's talk about why we would need to change things. You know, uh, usually it's because of failure, frustration, conflict, or just persistent problems in one of the following areas. This is a list that I have made, and it's not an exhaustive list, but it's just some of the things that uh, that I have dealt with as I have led change. Staff changes, leadership changes, your customers, your constituents, your board, your leadership structure, your organizational structure. Tradition, that is huge. As I have mentioned before, when I took over World Venture, it, it was 50 years old. That wasn't the name of it when I took it over because one of, the, one of the things I did, which I'll share later in the show, is going through a name change process. But uh, tradition, tradition, oh boy. Now there's a powerful force to be reckoned with. And all of us who are asked to lead in an 
situation that is older than 10 or maybe 20 years, we're going to fight a lot of tradition. You know, now let me just say not all tradition is bad. I I don't agree with the people who like to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say anything old is obsolete. That is not true. There are some great traditions that have stood the test of time, but in organizations, they can be the death knell. And so we have to fight tradition when it's tradition for tradition's sake. Name, uh, here's my ongoing list, uh, finances. You know, when you're in financial trouble, that's probably one of the biggest reasons you have to change things. You're not making it. Uh, you're not paying the bills. You got more money going out than it's coming in. You cannot save your way to profitability. So if you have financial problems, you've got to change things. Facilities. Uh, another thing I did in my leadership is we built a brand new uh, facility because the facility I we had was a millstone around our neck. Policies, programs, procedures. Priorities, direction, strategy, profit margin, competition. You know, you used to be successful, but it seems like now the competition wants to eat your lunch. So what do we do about it? Don't know what your situation is, but I can guarantee you if you're in leadership or you aspire to be in leadership, you must be a change agent. Okay, let's review the three tips from the last show in case you didn't hear that or you haven't gotten around to it. Uh, number one principle, and these are, again, six principles of change, leading change that, I, that I've observed over really a career of 30 years of leadership and leading people through change. What you're trying to do is to get people to accept change instead of fight it. And the default position for everyone is to fight change. So number one, God is the ultimate change agent. And I reminded you in the last podcast that there is no more creative being in the universe than the creator God. And as I look around the world and I see the beauty of his creation, both in people creating currently over seven, almost seven billion different faces and seven billion times 10 fingers, just (laughs) that's a lot of fingerprints and eyeballs and voice, you know, Every person's voice is unique. Somebody can call me that I haven't heard on the phone for 10 years, and I will immediately know who they are because of their unique voice. So God is the ultimate creator in the universe. He's the ultimate change agent, and we should reflect his creativity. What does that mean? To me, it means that no organization, especially nobody who is a God follower, ministry, church-related, should be boring. We should not be boring, but we should be passionate about being creative and fresh and new because that's the kind of God that we follow. Number two, change is urgent. That's the second principle, especially if you're failing, (laughs) but sometimes even more when you're flying high. I have a board member who was on my board for a number of years in his 70s. He's actually in his late 70s, but he's one of the most creative change agents I ever had on my board. And he always said to us, we don't need to be thinking outside the box. We need brand new boxes. Well, you know what? I totally agree with him. But I realized through the years it's easy to say but hard to get people to accept. I've been in meetings where people just shook their head, yes, oh yeah, let's find new boxes, let's think outside the lines, let's uh, do this new stuff. But then they'll walk out 
and continue to preserve the status quo and preserve the policies and the procedures and the cultures. They love their boxes. Change is urgent. And as we get to the fourth principle today, I'll talk about how people resist change. So number one, God is the ultimate change agent. Number two, change is urgent. Number three, we must lead change with vision, not with plans, but with vision. Vision is the best way to convince people that there is a better B because change is all about people leading people from point A to point B. And we have to get people excited about B as opposed to sitting there trying endlessly with futility, talking them out of A. You can't talk people out of A. You've got to convince them that B is better. Lead change with vision. No greater example than Martin Luther King Jr., who stood on the steps of the mall in Washington, D.C., in front of the Lincoln Memorial and said, I have a what? I have a dream, not a plan, a dream. And he changed America and he changed the world because he had a dream. To me, leadership is like driving a little two-seating sports car convertible on a winding mountain road. And, uh, you, you know, you never know what's around the next corner. But a leader's job is to think about what's around the next corner. A leader's job is the future. I love to say we don't get paid as leaders for what happens today or this week. We generally get paid more for what happens next year. We have to anticipate the future and we have to adjust and change things to meet that future. So you're driving on this little country road and you're going around these curves and you don't know what's on around the corner. A couple of things could be around the corner. It could be the greatest opportunity that ever came along. Are you ready to accept that opportunity? Are your hands holding so fast to your current set of realities that you have no margin or room to open up your hands to that possibility of what's just around the corner? It could be the very greatest opportunity that you need to embrace and let go of a whole lot of other things to embrace that opportunity. The other thing that could be around that next corner <laughs> could be a cow in the road. One time Donna and I were in Mexico and we re rented a car. We were driving down this little country road uh, in near Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. And uh, it was dusk, but it wasn't dark at all. And all these cars coming the other way, a little two-lane road, were flashing their lights at us. And I, okay, I turned on my lights, thought maybe they want me to turn my lights on. But they kept flashing their lights as people were coming by me. I thought, well, you know, in America, that means speed trap. But I, I was going really slow. I came around the next corner, and there was a cow right in the middle of the road, broadside, just standing there. And that's why they were flashing their lights. You know, around the next corner could be one of the greatest obstacles that could take you out. We have to think about the future. We have to anticipate the future. And that's why change is so very important. Well, let's dive into part two of this two-part podcast. Principle number four, people always resist change. You see, we are trying to take people from point A to point B. People love A and B scares us. You see, leaders make things happen and 
followers try to stop us. I remember years ago, we uh, we had a motorhome when our kids were growing up, and man, did we love that motorhome, our four children, and they still talk about the day now they're all getting married and having their own children, and they still talk about how much fun our vacations were in our motorhome. One year, we decided, it was the 150th anniversary of the Oregon Trail, and we decided to follow the Oregon Trail with our motorhome from the Midwest all the way out to Oregon City, Oregon, at the end of the Oregon Trail. It was awesome, and we went to these interpretive centers along the way, and I remember there were some places where the Oregon Trail, so many people had taken their wagons across these this really rocky ground that they had dug, dug these deep ruts into the, into the ground, these two wagon wheel ruts. And uh, 150 years later, we could still see these wagon wheel ruts. And I thought, you know, they were deep. And these, these settlers, uh, these pioneers, I should say, were, were taking their wagons up the, the Oregon Trail. And, and they had to stay in the ruts. To try to pull their wagon out of those ruts was a huge undertaking. And no matter what they did, the wheels would just naturally want to go back into those ruts. You see, that's the way most followers are. They love the ruts, they stay in the ruts, and they resist your attempt to pull them out of those ruts. Robert Jarvik, the inventor of the artificial heart, said leaders are visionaries with a poorly developed sense of fear and no concept of the odds against them. Gary Hamill, management expert, said the world is becoming more turbulent faster than organizations are becoming more resilient. See, the pace of change is accelerating. And does it make your head spin? It makes mine. And I'm excited about some of the new developments. I love technology. I'm always on the cutting edge. But sometimes I get exhausted by the pace of change. The pace of change is accelerating. And he said, again, Gary Hamill, the world is becoming more turbulent faster then organizations are becoming more resilient. And I spoke about resilience in my last podcast, the first half of this two-part podcast on change and how we have to strive to make resilient organizations so that we are always flexible. Are you in the vanguard or are you in the old guard? Are you changing as fast as the world is changing around you or are you stuck in that rut of the past? We as leaders have to change things. In the years that I was uh, in ministry as a CEO of a, a large ministry, I changed just about everything and I learned so much. So f- let me just say, why did I go about changing things? Just for the sake of change? I was accused of changing things for the sake of change. I was accused of uh, saying, you know, he just doesn't like anything that's traditional or that's been around a while. Not true. I change things for the purpose of growth survival, resiliency, and vibrancy because I wanted to be part of a vigorous, live, uh, vital, animated organization that was making a difference in today's world. That's why we take this leadership journey. And if that's what you want, then you have to become an expert at changing things. Uh, We changed the players on the bus, the org chart, the marketing plan, the whole brand image. That's so important nowadays to freshen up our brand, you know, a new look, uh, new graphics, new visuals, new brand slogans. You know, nowadays you probably have to freshen that up at least every five years. If you have an old static website that hasn't had any uh, freshening up any time lately, I was consulting with a, a ministry not long ago and I went on their website 
website and they had a little section on their front page about the latest news. And the latest news on their website was nine months old. And I, I told these guys, you know, this is not rocket science. You are not going to capture people. You're not going to capture interests with an old static uh, days gone by website. So you have to change your brand image. We changed our mission, our vision, our board, our leadership structure. As I said already, the location, building, name, and, and culture. Culture is the toughest thing to change. But every once in a while, you have to get a brand new bus. People resist change. One of my all-time favorite quotes on change, that last uh, podcast I shared with you from Robin Cook, that great quote from Abduction, the, the novel Abduction, and I'm not going to tell it to you again. I want you to go back and listen to that other podcast. But this is my other favorite quote, and I'll put this again in my podcast notes at leadershipanswerman.com. This is from Machiavelli the Prince, and I don't recommend his uh, leadership principles generally, but what he observed in 1532 about change is profound. Here's what he said. There is no more delicate matter to take in hand, no more dangerous to conduct, no more doubtful of success than to step up as a leader in the introduction of changes. For he who innovates will have for his enemies all those who are well off under the existing order of things, and only lukewarm supporters and those who might be better off under the new. That is so true. Sadly, so very true. People resist change. Why do people resist change? If I were to ask you, if we had a conversation right now, I said, why do people resist change? I've already said people love A, B scares us. We have to carefully carry people to B as we sell them on the vision of a better B. But why do people resist change? Well, lots of reasons that I've observed through the years. And you could probably, if I were to ask you and you could feed that back to me, you'd probably, most of you would come up with the same word that I came up with, fear. Fear. Someone has defined fear as false expectations appearing real. Fear of the unknown, fear of loss, fear of the way things used to be. Uh, some people fear the emerging generations and, and just fear change for the sake of change. Uh, comfort, the loss of our comfort zone. Uh, lack of trust in leadership is one reason why people resist change uh, because of poor track records in the past. You know, people won't follow you unless they trust you. And in the past, if you have proposed great changes and then you blew it, well, you know what? I'm not saying you can't come back around and, and be successful because uh, we all believe that um, failure is the back door to success. But if you've made a big deal about a change and then you didn't pull it off or you gave up on it, it's going to be a lot harder the next time around to sell people and convince people of your new plan, your next plan. <laughs> <laughs> Some organizations have cave people. You have any cave people? That's the committee against virtually everything. Uh, people resist change because of insecurity. I may be worse off under the new order of things. That's what Machiavelli was getting at. Or uh, insecurity, they may be better off. Because when, when you bring about, I, I remember one of the biggest changes that I brought about was an organizational reshuffling of my whole leadership team. When I became CEO, it was an old paradigm organization. I had, a like the disciples, I had 12 direct reports. It was just too much. You cannot have 12 direct reports. I was teaching the other 
other day and somebody asked me, what's ideal for a leader? How many people should report to you? I would say ideally three to five. So my board told me, Hans, you need to change things. And I restructured and I just set off a firestorm uh, because people realized some of them were going to be worse off, some were going to be better off because everybody likes to be at the table. And when all was said and done, some people were uninvited to the, the top table and some of the people around that table had to report all of a sudden to other people around that table instead to me. And that's tough. Cultural misunderstandings and taboos can lead to uh, resistance to change because we haven't done a good uh, job of communicating, you know, poor communication. Power, I may lose some power. Inertia, the status quo is strong. Energy, it takes a lot of energy to and work to change things. Cost, it takes money and time. Pressure, stress, uh, different visions of where we should go. Sometimes people doubt a leader. Let me uh, talk about doubt for just a minute as, uh, as I finish up this issue of uh, people resisting change. You know, I've learned one thing I did is I relocated our organization from Chicagoland to Colorado, and we built a beautiful new building, and so that building's been there now for 14 years. It was a great success, but at the time I had a lot of resistance and I had a lot of doubt. Uh, some people doubted me personally. They thought I was on an ego trip, wanted to build a big monument to my name. Not true. Buildings are just buildings. They're like cars. They take us from one place to the next, and I don't think we should worship buildings, but if you have a building that works for you, you can accomplish so much more than if you have a building that works against you. Well, through this journey of uh, relocation and building this new building, I found what I call the four factors of doubt. And I had to learn as a leader to embrace doubt instead of shutting it down. The worst thing you can do is be in a change program and all of a sudden people began to raise doubts and raise concerns and raise questions and you shut them down. You will not help carry people to be if you shut down the doubt. Four factors of doubt. Number one, we did not know there was a problem. That's the it ain't broke syndrome. You ever heard the saying? Of course you have. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if you surprise people with a big change, the first factor of doubt is, wow, we didn't know there was a problem. We actually liked the old building and we liked having our headquarters in Chicagoland. And, and man, did we not know that that was a problem. And we didn't realize, you know, I had to explain to them how broken our old building was. It just wasn't going to work for us anymore. Number two, we're in shock about your solution to a non-problem. Don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Number three, we had no idea any change was coming. We felt ambushed. And the worst thing you can do is ambush people. Just get up and announce it has been decided that, you know, fill in the blank. First question people ask is, who decided this? And really uh, what they wanted, is, what they're saying is we had no input. And that's the fourth factor of doubt. We offered no input for the solutions imposed on us. We might have really had some good input for you to consider a better solution. So those are the four factors of doubt. So again, People will always resist change. Principle number five, my tips on how to lead people to change. Coach people carefully to change. Bill McCartney here, a famous uh, coach here in Colorado, said is, all coaching is is taking a player where he cannot take himself. Coach people carefully, taking them to the future. Now, here are some ways you can learn to turn people around. 
The first thing is FaceTime. There is no substitute for FaceTime. You know, I I have been talking about FaceTime long before Apple came up with that term, and I should have, you know, registered it as a uh, trademark or something, but uh, there's no substitute for FaceTime. Uh, you, you have to communicate face to face if at all possible or use Skype if you can't, uh, if you're not geographically located, but, uh, people need to lead, hear the leader's heart. And, and the best way to do that is with FaceTime, get in front of your people. I remember reading Howard Schultz's new book onward about how he turned around Starbucks in recent years after they almost, you know, they lost their way. And he had this huge gathering in Texas where he pulled all his managers, like they had like 20,000 people there. And, and people said, man, that's a lot of money and expense. And he said, I have to get face to face with my people because I am so amped up about what we need to do to change this company. And it worked. So learn to turn people around with FaceTime. You need to camp on how things are really broken or obsolete. You know, if people say it ain't broke, don't fix it. You've got to convince people it's broken. Build a guiding coalition that creates some momentum. Use peer-to-peer convincing. Use the converted opposition. If you've got people that were against you and now are for you, let them be your ambassadors. Get people reading and listening to people they respect. A demonstrate with off-site show-and-tell. Prepare a list of frequently asked questions. And then finally, to coach people, you need to listen, listen, and listen some more. You need to coach people carefully, just like a football coach or a basketball coach or any kind of coach. You need to carefully, carefully carry people to point B. That's the fifth tip is coach people carefully. You know, don't beat up on them. Don't shut down their doubt. Embrace their doubt and just be open and vulnerable. And that leads me to my final sixth principle, lead with your heart. You know, I had to learn this the hard way. Uh, When I was in the middle of the trenches of bringing about this major change of relocation in the new building, I had a number of, you know, our organization was spread in uh, 65 countries around the world, and I had people thousands of miles away. And if you work cross-culturally, it just exacerbates the barriers of communication. And many times here in the, in our Postmodern America, we have to do things, uh, strategies, procedures, uh, you know, what we're doing, that people in uh, faraway countries that it might be in a pre-modern or modern culture don't even understand. Our personnel didn't get what I was doing. And in, in many cases, I realized they don't understand my heart. In fact, one of my top leaders said, Hans, they don't get your heart. And so they, they're misreading your motives. If they knew your heart, They would follow you and they would get this. And I had to get on airplanes and go around the world and unpack my heart to my troops. We have to lead with our heart. And once people see our heart, I believe they will follow us. And again, a leadership team should be vulnerable and open with each other about that very thing. That's a topic of a future podcast about how to build a a leadership team that's uh, open and vulnerable in their hearts. I want to leave you with a couple of... uh, uh, verses of scripture from the New Testament about this leading with the heart that I think is so good. Well, you know, one thing I had to do, uh, Ephesians 4, 2 says, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. In Colossians 3, 12 and 13, interesting, these are three prison epistles that were written by the apostle Paul. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. One thing I had to learn is I had to ask forgiveness of my troops when I did not communicate clearly about a change that I was championing. I just had to say, you know what, it's it's my fault, forgive me. One thing I learned is you can't resolve conflict through email. That's why I say FaceTime is so important. Have you ever tried to, to resolve a conflict with another person through email? It just doesn't work. It just makes matters worse because so much of communication is nonverbal and you don't get any of that voice and face and intonation through email. So FaceTime and I had to ask forgiveness and I was amazed at how often people forgave me and gave me another chance. Don't be afraid and prideful as a leader says, well, I'm not going to admit that I was wrong. Why not? Because we are wrong. We're not infallible. And if we can just say, you know what, this is my heart. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm sorry I wasn't clear. Uh, You know, let's reboot our relationship and let's move on together. So those are some those are the six tips about how to bring about change. Would you do me a favor? Would you write me about a big change challenge that you're facing right now? You can go to hansfenzel.com or leadershipanswerman.com and just go to the contact tab. Write me. What is a big change challenge you're facing right now? Please let me know if you like the podcast and let your friends know. If you could give me a good review on iTunes, I'd so much appreciate it. If you like these podcasts, share them with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Thanks so much. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. Please send me your leadership questions that I can answer on a future podcast. And I would love to have you sign up for my email updates at leadershipanswerman.com. Remember that every follower needs a healthy leader. Keep listening and learning and go out there and make a difference with your leadership.